This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50. We limit our reading this morning to verses 15 through 21, 15 through 21 of Genesis 50. The context is that Jacob has in Egypt recently blessed his children and then has died. Joseph is the ruler over his brethren. And they come to him doubting whether he has forgiven them. Genesis 50, verse 15 through 21. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall he say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. To read that far in God's holy and inspired word, turn now to the back of the Psalter to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10. Lord's Day 10. On the basis of What we read in Scripture, as well as many other portions of the Bible, we have this teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism regarding God's providence. Lord's Day 10, what dost thou mean by the providence of God? Answer, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, 
health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by His providence doth still uphold all things? Answer, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from His love, since all creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 10 brings us this morning to consider the beautiful, profound, and practical, exceedingly practical doctrine of God's providence. I remind you at the start that the Heidelberg Catechism explains the doctrine of providence from the point of view of faith or in the context of explaining our faith. For all those whom God saves, He works in them faith to believe and to believe with a certain knowledge and an assured confidence all that God has revealed in His Word, as Lord's Day 7 says, whereby you and I hold for truth these doctrines hold for truth this God. The Apostles' Creed sums up the content of that which we believe and we have considered so far that we believe in God, the triune God in particular, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we believe in this God who created all things, that's Lord's Day 9, by the word of His power in six days. And today the Catechism leads us to consider how we by faith are to believe that this same God who created all things is the God of providence. The Belgic Confession, Article 13, puts it this way, another beautiful confession of our creeds. We believe that this same God, after He had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance but that He rules and governs them according to His holy will so that nothing happens in this world without His appointment. The Budget Confession, you notice this in Lord's Day 9 as well when the Catechism speaks of creation, connects creation and providence. God having created all things doesn't give it up, but continues as God to rule and govern all things. Children, you can think of God's providence in this way. It's very simple. God is God. He was not only God in creation, but He continues to be God. He remains God. And by definition of the very fact that He is God, He is, as the Catechism says, one who is almighty and everywhere present, thereby upholding and governing all things. God is God. And to deny providence, therefore, is to say that God is not God. 
To deny any aspect of providence is to say that God is not God over that specific thing in this life. God is God. God is over everything. This is a simple truth, but a truth that we need to be reminded of. It's very necessary because we often forget it. We know it intellectually, but the reality is that we live too often in our lives as practical atheists. Practical atheists. Oh, we are believers. I'm not calling you to doubt that. But we get so caught up in our life, in our busyness, that we focus merely on that which we see with our physical eyes. And we forget to see the hand of God's providence in every part of it. That is why we worry and fear as though God is not in control of the future. That is why we murmur. That is why we get angry as though God is not in control of the last year's troubles. That is why we boast in our pride, imagining that the accomplishments that we have made is our own rather than the God of providence who has governed all things so that we can have success. We speak as though things happen by accident, as though there is such a thing as chance or luck as though it rains or it snows or the weather changes when in reality it is the God of providence who does all these things. Since we forget it and we speak as though we do forget it, I pray that the Word of God this morning strengthens our faith in this God of providence so that we live in a greater consciousness. That is, we live by faith in this God who does uphold and govern all things. We consider this doctrine this morning with particular and specific application to sin. And not just sin and evil, but sin and evil as committed by brothers. That's a slightly abnormal theme that I gave you this morning. God's providence when brothers think evil but you should have made sense of that theme in the Scripture reading as we read Genesis 50. Genesis 50 records for us the account of Joseph and his brothers and how Joseph's sinful brothers had thought evil against him. Joseph, in Genesis 50, speaks of God's providence over his brothers' sins or evil. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God, that is this God of providence, meant it unto good. Joseph could only say this sincerely out of a faith which rested in the God of providence. And Joseph, as you know, faced much adversity. A word that the catechism uses, much adversity. His father Jacob had showed favoritism to him and his brothers had been envious. They had thought evil of him quite early in his life. They had thrown him into a pit intending to forget him and leave him there to die. But they had thought more evil of him, especially Judah, the leader of the brethren, to make a profit out of him rather than leave him in a pit. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites as a slave. He had suffered slavery in Egypt. 
And then when it looked like things would turn out, he had been cast into prison because of the lustful and lying wife of Potiphar. He had been forgotten in that prison for a long time. The chief butler not keeping his promise to put in a good word for Joseph. And finally, finally, God had caused Joseph to ascend not only from prison, but to the right hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. To preserve that country from famine, not only, but especially to preserve the church, Israel, those very brothers that had sinned against him, to save a people unto himself. A people out of whom Jesus would come. Much evil had happened to Joseph. But with his eyes of faith, he saw the hand of God's providence. And thus confessed, you thought evil. Brothers, God meant it unto good. The special application from Genesis 50, we consider this doctrine of Lord's Day 10 under the theme, God's providence when brothers think evil. First, the meaning of that providence. Second, the extent of God's providence. And then finally, the advantage, as the catechism puts it. The meaning, the extent, and the advantage. First, let us, beloved, refresh our memory. on some of the basic aspects of God's providence. The Catechism defines God's providence this way. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by His hand He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures. Consider two words to start. God's providence is His work of upholding and governing all creatures whom God has made. Upholding and governing children, never forget those two words. Those should automatically come to your minds. The creedal words and words that are extremely helpful in understanding providence. God upholds and He governs all things. We often focus upon that second word, governs. But the catechism makes us focus upon the first word, upholds, as well. To uphold is part of God's providence. And to uphold is to keep in existence. To uphold is to preserve the existence of something. This is God's work. Immediately after He had created anything in those first six days. So children, when God said in the beginning, let there be the heavens and the earth, and there were, there was the heavens and the earth, that mass, formless mass of dark water, that mass, that heavens and the earth, could not continue existing unless God, as it were by His hand, held it in existence, kept it by His power in existence, and caused it to continue to be that mass of dark water. And when He said, when He spoke into existence, let there be light, God did not stop working after He said, let there be light. But according to His providence, He 
did the work of upholding that light to keep that light shining as it does today. When he said, let there be a firmament, the sky, his work of providence was to keep to keep the space and the heavens and the atmosphere from collapsing in upon itself as it would have if it were not for his upholding work of providence having made the dry land and the plants which sprung forth out of the dry land, His work of providence was to keep that ground solid, to maintain the height of the mountain so that it was not carried back into the midst of the sea. When He made the fish and the birds and the animals, His providence was to preserve the lives and the existence of these animals, their very frame, so that they would not be crushed under gravity and be made to nothing again. When He made man and woman, His providence was to uphold them, body and soul. You see, if God did not work to uphold by His providence, intentionally to do this work, creation would return back to nothing out of which He created all things. Beloved, you and I are called and this is the application of all applications in the Bible. You and I are called to stand in awe, to worship this God who not only created, but by His hand upholds all things in His providence. In Him, Acts 17.28, we have our very being. Today too. But more, more God's providence is not only that He upholds all things, but secondly, more familiar to us perhaps, is that He governs, He controls all things. Reformed believers know that in terms of God's sovereignty. God sovereignly rules over all things. That's part of His providence as well. Without His will, children, the best way to understand this second part of providence is that last phrase of Lord's Day 10. Without His will, they cannot so much as move. Not only can nothing exist without His will, but nothing can even move without His will and control. You see, God not only knows everything that will happen and does happen. He has not only seen ahead of time, He has everything that has and will happen. He doesn't merely permit it to happen, allow it to happen, but He is the cause, the first cause of all that takes place. Nothing can so much as move without His work of providence. Providence is God's work of upholding and governing all things. But now a third point about providence because our idea of providence is yet incomplete. And if you miss this third part of God's providence, then you really take on the same idea as many pagans and philosophers of this world. 
The idea of determinism or fatalism. And you don't want that. God's providence is more than upholding and governing everything. God's providence includes His personal presence. His personal presence. That's how the catechism begins, you see. The almighty and everywhere present power of God. God is everywhere, everywhere present in heaven and on earth and in hell also. Everywhere present is this God with his whole being and persons, three persons. You must understand that as part of God's providence. Acts 17, 27. He be not far from every one of us. He's near, very near. He's imminent. He's personally present in every part of creation. It's astounding to think about. Again, application, stand in awe of this. And one way to help us understand and stand in awe of this is to consider an error called deism. I said at the beginning of the sermon that we live as practical atheists sometimes, but we also live as practical deists. Deism is known as the watchmaker concept where God is perceived as someone who made everything and then wound it up like a clock and leaves it to run on its own. So He has determined it all. He has, as it were, as a computer today, programmed everything, but now leaves it. He stands aloof, apart, and leaves it to run by itself. That's not just an old philosophy. That is what most people who believe in everything being determined today think of as God, the deist God. And we fall into this thinking too, too often. I have heard Reformed people speak and behave as though they serve the God of deism. Everything will happen if it will, be ha- will happen as it has been planned, period. That's not providence. It's incomplete. And Reformed people then live as Stoics, just trying to cope with God's determined program. That's not living by faith in the God of providence. That's a pagan philosophy all by itself. Providence is this precious truth that God is here. He is near. He is right there in the specific event that you say cannot happen except it be according to His will. And the Catechism helps us to understand this ever-present God who moves all things by referring to the hand of God as it were by His hand. It's called an anthropomorphism, a figure of speech, because God doesn't have a hand like human beings. But the point of that figure of speech, that God, as it were, by His hand, governs all things, is the personal presence of God. He has His hand involved in every part of your life. He's there as it were, with His hand, with full attention to whatever is taking place on this earth, 
when Joseph was in the pit and felt alone, when he was in the dungeon and felt no one was near, God was near to bring him there, to be with him there. Providence is not a cold determinism that keeps everything in existence and controls everything, but He holds with His hand every blade of grass, every leaf on the tree, every drop of rain that falls. He's there to draw it down. Each atom He continues to hold in His hand. Each hair doesn't just fall from your head, but as it were with His hand, He brings it to fall. Astounding, isn't it? And to help impress this truth upon you because it is so important, think about you human beings trying to do a few things in your life all at one time. Mothers, you might try to do the laundry, you might talk on the phone, you might hold a baby. All at the same time, you try to focus upon three or four things all at once. And perhaps, mothers, women, you're better than this as than men. But yet you're very limited. Very limited in being able with your hands to do more than one thing at one time. And you can't do it as adequately as than when you were focused on one thing only. But God is so great, so powerful, so omnipresent, that He can and He is in more than one place at one time. He's everywhere. And His attention is fully focused on every movement that He controls in the entire universe. He's personally present by His hand. That's mind-blowing. Stand in awe of this God of providence. Part of this providence is this, that it's not arbitrary. It's not arbitrary that He upholds and governs all things. He doesn't do these things randomly. But it's all according to a perfect plan or counsel. Joseph says in Genesis 50:20, "But God meant it unto good, meant it unto good." That word "meant" is literally to think. You thought evil, Joseph says, God thought, same word. That is, he planned unto good. He works all things after the counsel of His will. Ephesians 1 verse 11. He upholds and He governs everything according to a plan that He has made from eternity. And that plan can only be for us and never against us. And thus His providence, which is according to that plan, must also be never against us, but always for us. That's the wisdom of God. Personally, powerfully, upholds and governs for us. The goals two goals that He always has in His providence. There are more goals, more purposes, but two goals He always has. The salvation of His people 
and the glory of His name. The salvation of His people and the glory of His name. Meditate on that. Why did the sun shine or not shine today? For the salvation of His people and the glory of His name. Why did it rain for the salvation of His people and the glory of His name? Why war in Myanmar for the salvation of His people and the glory of His name? Why pain to your body, the particular pain in that particular part for the salvation of His people and the glory of His name? Why sickness? Why success? Why failure? Why anything? For the salvation of His people and the glory of His name. Always, always that. And we know, we confess with Paul in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. What good? Verse 29, to conform us to the image of His Son for the salvation of His people. And the glory of His name, 2 Corinthians 4.15, for all things are for your sakes, for the sake of the sakes of His people, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound unto the glory of God, so that the people who are saved may bring glory to their God. The goal and purpose of God's providence is always that. Nothing happens in this life without that purpose being accomplished. Such are the basics of God's providence. Beloved, believe in this God. That God is God, children. Truly God today. Personally present to uphold and govern all things for the salvation of His people and the glory of His name. There is no other God beside this God. Every other God is no God at all. God upholds and governs to a certain extent. To what extent? It should be obvious. It has been implied throughout already. God's providence is all-encompassing. Really, I said it wrong, there is no extent. There is nothing that God does not uphold and control. There is no limit to God's providence. Nothing can so much as move without His will. Nothing can continue to exist without His will. In heaven and on earth, all angels, every fast-moving star, every planet revolving around the sun, He upholds and moves as it were by His hand. Think about the inconsequential, that which we don't even notice, we deem trivial and we ignore. The fly that moves on our countertop. Not just rain, but each drop of rain that falls in Grand Rapids or northern Minnesota 
or in the monsoon season in Myanmar. Every blade of grass that springs up, how it bends, how it dries up and dies. The wings of a majestic eagle or the swift moving ones of a hummingbird. Every particle of the atmosphere that moves overhead to form clouds. But zoom in to the microscopic level. Each proton, neutron, electron, subatomic particle, the upholding and movement of those particles unseen to the naked eye, that by God's providence He pays attention to. He is near. He upholds and governs for the salvation of His people and the glory of His name. That which we are unaware of, He upholds and governs for good. Think of your successes and prosperity, students, athletes. He's governed the development of your gifts. He's arranged your life in a specific family, in a specific school, in specific circumstances. To get the grades, you get every point of that grade, every success in a game. Men, every penny you earn, every bit of energy you have to work, the job you got, the fluctuations in the economy, so that you have what you have today, you might claim, I've done it, I've received it, I've earned it. My hard work, my ingenuity, but God says in His providence, no, it's by my upholding and governing hand. The health that you may have, the beauty that you might be proud of, man says, it's my, by my exercise, my diet, my discipline, and God says, no, I am the one who upholds and governs you. The godliness you practice, the church involvement that you might take pride in, your devotional life each morning or every night, the good marriage that you might have, the family harmony, the well-behaved children or not so well-behaved children, church peace, the measure of it, every sermon that comes forth, every word from my mouth, that which enters your hearts and not just your ears, upheld and governed by His providential hand. Think of hardship, adversity, He has upheld and governed the genetics of your body to endure what you endure today. Difficulties, perhaps, of all kinds. Unknown to others, maybe, but known because it was planned and governed by God Himself, this God of providence. Cancer, when it goes in and out of remission, Exactly how your body will react and does react to the treatments of the doctors. Every flare-up of Crohn's or lupus. Each digression in Parkinson's. Each memory loss in dementia. The sugar lows and highs of diabetes. The fall. The handicap you. The flu, the cold, the virus, and the mutations, every mutation of that virus. If it does come against you, too, 
the coming and going of panic attacks, of difficult emotions, the death, the death of baby, of father, of spouse, of daughter. Each day in your life of singlehood, every miscarriage, barrenness, crabbiness of a child and every cry of that child in the middle of the night, all-encompassing. Stand in awe, beloved. And do not be unimpressed. The occurrences of this earth are not mundane and ordinary. They're orderly because God is the God of order even in His providence. God is present by His hand. And we are to see this by faith every day. And yes, beloved, the particular application I emphasize. God's providence extends even over sin even over the hearts and wills of men who sin. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. If the king's heart is, and every heart is as well under him, he turneth it whithersoever he will as the rivers of water. It has been the contention of Arminians and many evangelical Christians today that God doesn't control the hearts and wills especially of mankind. It has been the contention of many so-called Christians who claim that they believe in God, but not the God who is God over wills, over hearts and minds. Everything is under His control except for that, they say. At the very least, it is claimed that there is a cooperation, that God in His providence controls most of what man does, but man has to contribute, add. He does a little bit of his own part apart from God's control. I preach to you on the basis of God's Word this morning that God is absolutely in control because He is God. God is God, children. God is God, even over the movement of man's will. So that if he sins with his will and heart and then with his actions also, God is God over that evil as well. Not so that man is a robot. When God controls him and he sins, man wants to sin. It's not against his will. And as much as man may insist that he is independent of God, even his very rebellious insistence is governed by God's very hand. That does not mean 
that God sins. It does not mean that the Holy God, the Righteous One, is responsible for the sins that He providentially governs. Man always remains responsible. And man will be judged for the sin that he is responsible of. And there we come to the mystery of the problem of evil. A mystery. A mystery. A mystery that I do not in this morning, try to explain. I give you what the Belgian Confession says. It has the most beautiful answer regarding this mystery of God's sovereignty over sin and man's responsibility, full responsibility at the same time for his sin. For His power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that He orders and executes His work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to what He does, surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into it farther than our capacity will admit admit of. But with the greatest Humility and reverence adore the righteous judgments of God which are hid from us, contenting ourselves that we are disciples of Christ to learn only those things which He has revealed in His Word without transgressing those limits. That's powerful. I will, according to the Belgic Confession, and you will by faith only come to explain and understand that which God has revealed in His Word and leave the rest to Him to understand. And this is one matter that we leave to His understanding and simply submit to what He has explained. I am God, He says. God over sin as well. A man is responsible for his sin. I don't understand how. I can't explain it all. But I will not, and you may not, excuse your sin on the basis of that, nor accuse God for your sin on the basis of that. That would be to twist and rest this doctrine. To submit is to leave, to repent of the excuses, the antinomian excuses for your sin on the basis of God's sovereignty over it. And the accusations that we're prone to against God to blame Him for your sin. And now we can move to the sin, you see, not only of reprobates and wicked people in this world against us, for the sins of brothers. You, for ye, Joseph says, ye thought evil. Under God's hand of providence, ye thought evil. You did. You did evil. Joseph's not condoning their sin. You were the evil ones against me. 
Yet, God meant it unto good. He was sovereign over that evil too. Who were Joseph's brothers? Who is the ye there? Ye thought evil against me. It's the church. Beloved, it's the church. The twelve tribes of Israel. They were not merely Joseph's biological brothers, you see. Here's the exegetical point, simple, but you need to grasp. They were Joseph's spiritual siblings who were walking in sin, who had hated him, who had abused him, who had murdered him, who had plotted against him. It was no accidental thing or sin of ignorance. They had taken counsel against him. And they had been impenitent for a long while. Brothers had done this. Beloved, I know. You know. Brothers have sinned against you. Sitting in the pew next to you. The wound still stings. And they still may remain impenitent right now. Brothers and sisters thought evil, even maybe thinking evil presently, to do you harm, to open up the wound again, to do you evil, and to minimize all the pain that they may be causing. How do you deal with that? was not my enemy, but my own familiar friend with whom I walked to the house of God, who now bites and devours and stabs me in the back. With God's providence, beloved, by faith in the God of providence, beloved, that's how we deal with that. Knowing that every conflict, every gossip, every betrayal, every error of doctrine, every sinful post online, every angry word, every request for papers, every departure, every schism, every evil, every abuse, every attack against the office, every error made in assemblies, every evil done by them or by you. Shall there be evil in a city, Amos says. And the Lord hath not done it for the salvation of His people and the glory of His name. Joseph believed that. I call you to the same faith as Joseph. And knowing the specific confession of Joseph he thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. That should make your mind and my mind think of a different, a different man against whom evil was brought. Worse evil than was brought against Joseph and worse evil than has been brought against you. The man Jesus Christ. Acts 2.23 him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, 
ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Again, God's Word and Peter maintains the responsibility of man. You have done evil. You have by wicked hands taken and crucified the very Son of God. You have nailed Him to the tree. You have cursed Him there. And remember, that's not only what they did back then, but what you and I do with our sin. But Paul, or Peter, preached providence. It was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, according to which plan God governed. The worst crime in human history, the murder of God's own Son. For what? The salvation of His people and the glory of His name. You have all the proof you need by looking at the cross of the providence of God and the Gospel tied to that providence that if He, in the worst crime of human history, governed that evil for our good and His glory, then so also must it be the case today that any lesser evil that others have committed against you and that you have committed against them must be for your salvation and the glory of His name. Believe it with all your heart. And to you who believe this God of providence, when brothers think evil, there is great advantage. The Catechism lists three. Patience and adversity first. Adversity is anything, any event on this earth that we feel is against us. And in particular, we apply to the sins of brothers. Brothers can be our worst adversaries. Satan uses them too. To turn on us and we on them. And when we face adversity, we're troubled, we're cast down, we're frustrated, we're angry because we look with our eyes on this earth merely. But God's people must repent of that. Instead of anger and bitterness and despair and a quitter mentality, we turn with eyes of faith to gaze upon God and His providence and His hand of providence who does govern even adversity so that adversity... Adversity cannot be against us, but adversity must be for us. The salvation of His people and the glory of His name. And by faith, you see, in that providence of God during adversity, when brothers are adverse against us too, then we may have patience. And patience, beloved, patience is not it is a waiting upon God through the adversity. But patience is more. Scripture and the confessions speak of patience not as a passive thing, but as an endurance, not a quitter mentality, but a pressing onward in faithfulness and a pursuit of the brother even to reconcile as is our calling even when they are adverse against us. Patience in adversity. Secondly, those who believe in the God of providence have the advantage of thankfulness, the Catechism says, in prosperity. 
Beloved, you are focused, and I am focused too much, too often, on the negative, on that which is adverse against us. But has not God blessed us? Has He not prospered you in so many ways? Do you not see a measure of unity, of healing? Do you not see and witness the work of God in the hearts of your children even through hardship? Do you not notice His goodness to you in so many ways? That's His hand of providence too. Our tendency is to boast when we receive these blessings as though we have received them of ourselves, to be proud, and then, and then in our pride also to complain and murmur of what we don't have. But eyes of faith look upon God of providence and see all that I have and all that I am, I owe to Him. Thankfulness. Thankfulness would be the response then. Not murmuring. Not boasting. Thankfulness to this God of providence. And finally, the advantage we have who believe in this God of providence is trust or confidence for the future. We get anxious. What will happen? Will brothers attack us more? What will happen tomorrow? Will the economy crash or institutions crash? Fear not, Joseph told his brothers. Fear not, God, the God of providence speaks to us. Fear not. He rules. He has set Christ to rule over all things. In the future, too for the good of His people, the glory of His name. Notice how the Catechism puts it. Not, this is your calling. Be patient. Be thankful. Be confident. Though it is your calling. The Catechism puts it this way. This is your advantage. This is what God gives you as you dwell by faith upon Him, the God of providence. He gives you, even this morning as you hear His word, a patience you did not have before. Thankfulness. A confidence for tomorrow. But I close with one, one more advantage. I'm brief here, but I ask you to think on this one as you leave church this morning. Discuss it with one another around the dinner table. One more advantage that does not come out in the Lord's Day, but does from Genesis 50, is the advantage of forgiveness. That's what's going on in this text, you see. Joseph's brothers are so afraid that back in chapter 45 when Joseph expressed his forgiveness for them, it wasn't real forgiveness. 
so that when Jacob dies, they fear. And Joseph is holding a grudge. He's going to bring revenge. He's going to requite them for their sin, punish them for what they did to him. We pray, they plead, verse 17, forgive the trespass of the servant of the, fa- of the God of thy father. We are brothers under the same God. Forgive us. What they fear was for naught. But Joseph had, and he does. How? He believes in the God of forgiveness toward him. He has the same faith as we do in Jesus Christ. And out of that faith, he forgives his brothers. But part of the strength that Joseph had to forgive his brothers is due to the same faith that rested in the God of providence. He saw his brother's sins against him as that which God used not only for his own good, Joseph's own good, for the salvation of them, of the church, and the glory of his name. Seeing their sin that way, through the lens of faith, and the hand of God governing his brother's sins, God gave him strength to forgive. That's not just a calling. It is. Forgive your brothers who have sinned against you. But it's the advantage of those who believe in the God of providence over our brothers' sins. Be ready. Be ready. Tomorrow. Today even. Seek out your brother. And say what Joseph had to say. He thought evil against me. God meant it unto good. For God is God. Even over the sins of His people. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.